Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your host, Doug Coleman, and I'm joined today with the other host, Brendan McCullough. And we have a really special guest today, a former producer of the Attack of the Show, Yaniv Fatucci. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Thanks for coming on. You're following up after uh, Alex's footsteps. <laughs> I have not heard Alex's episode yet, so I'm actually excited to hear it after this. It's one of our favorites, so I'm really looking forward to hearing what you think of it. Awesome. It's the first time I've ever had to Photoshop a man into a battleship. Like, not on it, like, fused <laughs> with it. That, well, that's, that wasn't the first time that Alex was Photoshopped into a battleship, so... <laughs> I'm not surprised. Interesting fact. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so let's get to it. You are a former producer of Attack of the Show. You've done hundreds of episodes over the course of many years, and you're currently working on The Attack, which is essentially a Twitch stream revival of sorts of Attack of the Show, hosted by Kevin Pereira and Alex Correa. Yes. Do you want to talk a little about your experience with uh, The Attack of the Show? Absolutely. That's my pride and glory. I mean, that's, that was my film school, essentially. That's how we all started. Um, I, that's where I met Kevin. I was a associate producer starting 2007. Uh, for about four years, I uh, was working on Attack of the Show for G4. I can give you a background of how it, about how it came to be because it is kind of a unique story. Absolutely. I was actually working at E, the polar <laughs> opposite of G4. E Entertainment. <laughs> the celebrity armpit that was uh, e-entertainment. Um, and I was working as a, as a PA there, actually, as a production assistant. And then G4 moved into the building, and it became this, like, wide-eyed moment for everybody that was a nerd in that building. It was kind of like, oh, my God, we've been working for this sorority, and now we get to move over to the nerd fraternity. <laughs> so um, when, you, when G4 moved into the building, uh, the nerds congregated, and we raised our hands and an attempt for a job or for a transition over to G4. And uh, that was quickly what happened. Uh, so I moved into G4, uh, originally working for the Adult Entertainment Expo, which is pretty much a porn convention. Uh, yeah, always, always a good start. Ex- yeah, that was, my, that was my beginning. And it was, it was actually an awesome uh, sort of exercise in meeting Kevin and working with him, writing some skits and uh, going to Vegas and covering the expo there. And then that, uh, that was actually a special of Attack of the Show. Attack of the Show, we, we used to do a lot of these like 420 specials, the Adult Entertainment Expo, obviously Comic-Con and E3. So that was one of them. And then I felt like I did a good job there. So I just kind of took all my segments that I had done for them and put it on the desk of the EP at the time at G4, which was uh, Gavin Purcell, who's now uh, producing uh, Late Night with Jimmy. So... It was, it was a great opportunity to, to go from one end of the spectrum of this celebrity reenactments and clip shows that I kind of hated and jumped right into the stuff that I love, which is tech, gaming, music, and culture um, over at Attack of the Show. So that, that's the short form of the story. I guess we, we jumped into Attack uh, early on, 2007, uh, started working as an associate producer there, writing and producing over 500 segments in four years. Wow. Um, having a blast. I, nothing but great memories back then. Seriously, uh, honestly, it was my favorite thing that ever happened on television. G4 as a network, the attack of the show and X-Play, those shows stood out as like the best entertainment one could find on television. And it was like a huge uh, upset when everybody found out that it was coming to an end. Right. I was just wondering... How did that pan out for you? Were you around for the end of the attack of the show? And was it an emotional time? And I think I saw 
in an article that there was in a lawsuit, but I don't necessarily want to go into it if unless you're allowed to talk about it. I'm allowed to talk about it. I can explain. Um, absolutely. So the end of G4, I was I was not actually physically in the building for, but I was definitely around for it. Uh, Kevin wasn't either. It, was, it happened about six to eight months before, or I'm sorry, six to eight months after Kevin had left was really when officially Esquire had taken over the G4 brand and Comcast had decided to pull pull um pull G4 off the airwaves. So yeah, that nail in the coffin. It was so upsetting. I mean, G4. I mean, the tag of the show had been around for years. Like you guys have been doing what, what was it daily? It was um, a daily Monday through Thursday was a daily news show, and then on Friday we had a wrap up show, which was the best of the week. But it was definitely awesome. a, it was a rigorous. You know, daily live is one of the hardest beasts to manage for sure you have to kind of curate this machine that works over day and night you know we would we would produce 8 a.m to 6 p.m and then our editors would come in and they would cut from 6 p.m to 2 a.m and then it would rotate right into the next day there was hardly a beat skipped so it's definitely a beast and and it was something that we always thought like wow how are we keeping this going for so long how did we just hit a thousand episodes and it felt like yesterday that we started, you know? Um, when you're doing daily live, time flies. But I, I would have to say that we all kind of saw the smoke signals, you know, the red flags of something coming to an end. There was a sort of changing of the guards and the upper levels of management and, and, um, and just like on a corporate scale. Since we started at G, since since really that move of, of Tech TV moving down to LA and becoming G4, and then G4 moving into the Comcast building, there was so many transitions from NBC. NBC was a merger that happened around 2010, and it didn't change anything dynamically. But you definitely saw a sort of on a management level, things were changing. Creative calls were were a bit different. A lot of a lot of cool ideas were being turned down whether it was a new idea for a segment or a new idea for a show that complemented Attack of the Show. A lot of things were being turned down, and it was, it, was, it was weird for us as creators and fans of the content. Um, but it wasn't surprising when you, when you kind of dug deeper and looked behind the curtain of, of what was happening. So having said all that, I guess it wasn't much of a surprise um, that it came to an end. It was almost too good to be true as it was. Uh, we had, you know, the keys to the kingdom, as it were. Um, but essentially what, what really happened towards the end there was I, uh, I had an opportunity to work at MTV, uh, around 2011. So I left the show and, um, and then in 2012, Kevin also left the show, uh, just given better opportunities. And also, I mean, you gotta, you gotta look at it as a, as a huge time suck. It was like a, an energy t- sucker for sure, because you're, we, we clearly didn't even have many, much of a life outside of that show. Our time was so, was so absorbed, um, into 80 hours a week of producing that show. So it was tough to, to keep it going, to be honest. Um, so on a managerial level, I think that, I think, you know, there could have been better decisions made to, to keep us going and maybe brought in the bandwidth so that we can uh, stay above water. But those things weren't happening, and essentially it was just too tough to handle for, for, for producers like myself and talent like Kevin at the time. Um, so, you know, given other opportunities, I think, I think essentially everybody came, came to a decision that it was either we ride this out until the bicycle kind of loses its wheels or, or we leave just in time before it happens. And I think 
Kevin did that about six to eight months before it would officially close doors. Yeah, I do recall that. And I think it was a smart move on your guys' behalf just to, and you're lucky that you get, you got to see those signals, but it is just a shame because all around it was such a really enjoyable thing. And looking back, yeah, it's, it was live. So at the time, like if I ever rewatch an episode of Attack of the Show, it's like obviously year, like the, the news is like years old, but I still enjoy it just because of the way you guys presented the material and just everything about it. It's almost as if like, I wish you guys had uh, like available, like, Oh, seasons of the attack of the show that you could just watch, but it would kind of, I feel like that's not really realistic when it comes to live TV. Well, actually that, that it shouldn't be that way. Right. I mean, you should definitely have an archive of, of, of this type of content and especially in the digital age, there's no reason why we shouldn't have uh, access to look back at episodes, and that, that's part of the frustration. To be honest with you, was was hey guys, we're we're obviously targeting a an engaged audience of people that are are active and you know connected to their computers and have a clear interest in internet culture. Why aren't we curating for that and putting the episodes online and and you know really targeting our audience with the things that we know that they love? There was a frustration sort of like butting of heads there because when you're working with TV, um, the TV world essentially or the, the business of itself is there's ads being sold against the content on air. A lot of those contracts are made exclusively so you can't put it online. A lot of sticky licensing deals where you can't repurpose content and all of that, all of those things are changing right now before our eyes. We're seeing, you know, networks like Fuse, for example, which I'm working with now. They, they have a, a, an amazing relationship with their uh, content creators and their licensors to the point where, of course, we're going to put that amazing performance online for, because it brings more exposure and it shows, um, you know, gives more access to, to people who didn't see it live. Live is one of those things that's, that's such an age old, amazing, you know, time based production. But at the end of the day, a lot of people miss that, those scheduled viewings, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. No one has time necessarily unless you got unless you're still DVRing or or um you know recording ahead it, it a lot of times people miss that live viewing. So online is is such a no-brainer at this point. But for for some reason in 2010, 2011, that was still something to convince the higher-ups about. Um Th- that's such a shame because here I am trying to torrent episodes of Ta- Attack of the Show and it's like impossible. There's like, it's really a shame. I, I do have a handful of episodes, which is great, but it, I really wish there was that kind of archive. You know what? We should join forces. I got a few episodes. We should just make a DVD oh, pack. I will help you. I, I seriously, I, I have quite a few because I am obsessed with Attack of the Show. I will help. I love it. Yeah. No, I would, I would, uh, back a bootleg DVD cop. Uh, collection any day for sure oh awesome all right i will talk to you after the show about that that's great um, <laughs> going around the country selling out burnt dvds out of the yeah your trunk anybody need your aots fix yeah <laughs> i love i love the idea of bringing dvd back by the way and with like dvd commentary as well so oh hell yeah. oh my gosh that'd be great i've actually become very like obsessed with commentary and i've i'll Typically watch the movie at least once, but I found myself watching the movie multiple times with the commentary. Oh, me too. Like, I love it. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I think, has four different commentary tracks on it. And I think I've w- listened to all of them at least twice. Oh my god. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that must be a good one. I, I honestly feel like that's a dying uh, part of uh, of entertainment is the commentary. Because people aren't buying DVDs anymore, so you're not getting that. But it's interesting, because at the same time, there's plenty of Let's Players and YouTubers online just 
doing things doing that doing commentary over top of it so people still enjoy the i guess experience you're right you're totally right that's something we want to bring on attack by the way is um bringing back old co-hosts like sarah and uh, candace and just watching back segments and talking about them we've been trying to figure out whether or not they would be like a copyright issue with nbc or anything like that on on airing you know rebroadcasting it on twitch and and commenting on it but we're we're absolutely eager to do it. Oh, your audience will flip the fuck out. I, I swear. I know, I know. Everyone's going to love that. Yeah, we did it a very little bit. I think Kevin brought up a couple clips online and while we were doing a yeah. Let's Play and just chatted about them, and the chat was going nuts. But I could only imagine how fun it would be if we had Sarah and Candace in the room and reminiscing about you know a lot of the, the Tokyo stuff that we did. and It'd be a blast. Oh, definitely. Even his pointless episodes with them on it, that they're, they're probably one of the best episodes. Oh, maybe there's a way you could do it on Pointless on the podcast, and you can, like, at the beginning say, like, oh, this is where the clip would normally start, like, kind of yeah. a nod of, like, you could play the clip along when we play the clip, right? so the, the commentary can sync up, but they're not directly... Yeah. showing the copyrighted material. Nice, nice yeah. workaround. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that's that's a good workaround. I, there's there's talks about you know basically getting access to the old episodes to do things like that. Um, so we're we're working on it a little bit here and there. It's been a long process. Well, uh, this actually leads into like the next kind of thing. What? How did you stay in contact with Kevin and get involved with the attack? Did were you there since the beginning? Did he contact you saying, "Oh, I want to start this thing"? Right. Well, actually, me and Kevin had partnered up and created a production company in 2012. So right when he left uh, Attack of the Show, he and I started Super Creative, uh, which is a branded content production company and sort of, you know, our, our film house for creating everything from little commercial bits for Nintendo to a branded series for Pioneer and kind of beyond. Uh, and that was from 2012 to... To, to even today, I'm, I'm actually, we're talking from the super creative, off, I'm talking from the super creative office in Hollywood, which, which coexists with the attack right now. Um, but basically, he and I created a production company, we started doing a bunch of small projects, sold a format to sci-fi called Viral Video Showdown, which he hosted, and got our feet wet with a little bit of the, of, of the TV production side um, as independent producers. And then, just the beginning of this year, I want to say January of this year, we we decided to launch this digital brand, The Attack, pretty much revive Attack of the Show in a digital form, something that we've always wanted to do. But, you know, until we met a guy like Alex, I think that's what really pushed us to, to, to officially doing it. Uh, he just kind of brought this, this spirit back to the company. And he was an, originally an intern for Super Creative that we met at the podcast festival wearing a cast and we we just he was a 19 year old kid we we met and we we just we got this like young Kevin Ferreira vibe from him and uh decided you know it's absolutely time so we 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 tested the ideas with little things like his podcast called Two Guys One Up which was a YouTube series that we did on Super Creative YouTube channel essentially uh Alex and his buddy Justin would just play video games and talk over them and then that kind of that idea or just that that culture of content grew into this format of the attack um given a relationship with twitch and meeting the community managers there 
we got a little bit of a push in terms of promotion and, and they, they said that they would be behind us if we were to do it. Then we met with, uh, we had Greg Grumberg on the show, on, on the podcast, and he kept hyping up this location that he had built, this warehouse out in North Hollywood that has a band room and a Twitch studio and a bar. And he sold us on this space and having us move in. And that was in February of this year. And as soon as we moved in there, it was just nonstop. We were like, okay, let's just, let's just do this show. Let's do it. I think we did our first show like February 2nd or something like that. Okay. Hmm. I'm interested because, um, Alex also mentioned your relationship with the Twitch, I guess, executives or managers. And he said that a big part of you guys getting all the attention that you got was, they put your channel on the front page at a better time slot. Like I think you said 10 AM. Yeah, um, exactly. So is it sort of still similar like TV where you're battling for the best time slot where more people can view you and, but it's less rigorous cause you're not f- fighting against an outdated network like NBC. And it's kind of a more modern take on it. Absolutely. You just hit the nail on the head. Uh, essentially, you know, Twitch is, is populated with a lot of creators. And so only a select few of those creators are getting highlighted on the front page to, to really have a successful channel. I feel like you have to have some promotion from Twitch, uh, at least at first to grow that community and to, and to, you know, just have that exposure to get your subscribers and, and eyeballs on the content. Otherwise we would just be relying on Kevin's tweets, which is great and always effective, but it's very limited, right? I mean, the Twitch community, is huge and it's so um at least at least a few months ago it was very specific to to just gaming and and uh and watching gameplay uh and now it's grown a bit and especially with our format we were like yeah we're gonna have some gameplay but we're gonna be a variety talk show and we're gonna have some fun and be ridiculous and 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 really focus on some comedy and and expose the culture more so than just playing games and for a show like that, I felt like we, we had to have some help, right? And the Twitch community or, or the community managers there were supportive. They liked Kevin. They liked what we were up to. And without even seeing our first episode, they essentially put us on the carousel of the front page with some trust <laughs> that we wouldn't mess it up. And, uh, and I think we had a, a good first few shows or at least good enough to convince them to continue supporting us. And to this day, they're putting us on the front page. So, but, but in regards to that time slot, 10 AM was the, was the only spot that guaranteed us to be on the front page at the time. You know, those after school hours, three to four o'clock, at least Pacific time were, were guaranteed for a lot of the bigger channels at the time. Um, and then slowly, you know, we, with a little bit of adjustments, we're able to move into that four o'clock Pacific time spot over the last couple months uh, which do you prefer honestly was the morning like did you get a a larger viewership in the morning as compared to where you guys are now or did you see more of an influx so right now we're back to having the same viewership we had at that original spot uh the transitional period was tough we had a dip in viewership when we moved from 10 a.m to 4 p.m but for us as creators 4 p.m is way better because that gives us an entire morning and afternoon to prepare Yes. Whereas 10 a.m., we'd have to work up all night, you know, the night before and prepare and, and get ready. And it's tough to be topical, right? Like we wanted to show the best videos of that day, of that moment and and news of that day. And when you're doing a 10 a.m. show, you're pretty much doing the news of yesterday. 
I see what you mean. Interesting. Or doing the big stories coming out of China and Australia and the other <laughs> side of the world. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we love that stuff, obviously, but um, just like Attack of the Show was a four o'clock spot, I think that that is ideal for us. And also, you know, we absolutely are 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 curating for an audience that's younger as well, that's that's in school all day or or at work all day, and and then they come out of school at three o'clock and they're they're able to come watch us at four. So that's part of it. Definitely. Um. Well, you go ahead, Bren. I was going to say with Twitch, do you see do you see that they're tending to favor one type of content specifically? Like they started out as a video gaming website, but now they're branching out. I think they even have music and uh, sort of a testing stage, an alpha stage. Do you see them favoring these, you know, creative endeavors or these talk show sort of sort of formats that you guys are doing now over video games, or do you think they're trying to grow with you guys and with the demand of the audience? Definitely the latter. I think that they're absolutely trying to grow and and go broader, and and that's not to take away from the let's plays and the gaming community at all. I think it's going to only complement it to, you know, to grow anything. We all have to grow individually and together. Right. So, so the, the, the gaming channels need to grow. The, the talk shows need to start happening more. There needs to be more music programming. I also heard that there's going to be a sports category. So I think everything should grow. There shouldn't be any exclusivity or any limitations. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's been a, there's been a shift, right? They're, they definitely focused more on gaming at first, which is absolutely smart on a business level. And it's, and it's great for our community. Um, but we love the fact that they have shown sentiment that they want to see shows like ours succeed. You know, they, they're, but I mean, clearly by giving us that support that shows that they want us to succeed. Um, and I think music is a no brainer in my opinion. I think, I think that it's hard enough to, to see good music live, um, depending on where you are or how much money a, a, a ticket costs these days. It, it, to me, if I could see one of my favorite bands live on Twitch, I would happily pay that five bucks a month, right? Definitely. I agree. So music, to me, makes a lot of sense. Talk and variety makes a whole lot of sense because TV isn't just... I, I don't think it's cutting it these days. I'm not a big fan of live TV right now. Oh, I don't even turn it on to be honest. But <laughs> right. when G four went under, that's when I stopped turning on the TV unless it's for a video game. But that's just me. Were you guys? I have a question for you guys. Were you watching Attack of the Show live, or you were you recording it and watching later? I was watching it live. Right. Live. That's awesome. See that? I feel like that is incredibly uh, common for Attack of the Show viewers, but it's incredibly unique across TV in general. Like if, um, what's a good example? Uh, you know, other than sports and the news, what shows do people really watch live these days? You know? Yeah. Well, that's what I was trying to think of. And the first ones that popped in my head were both coincidentally right. Talking Dead and uh, At Midnight, which are both hosted by Chris Hardwick. Right. But those are only shows I can really think of that are like, oh, this is live. Like they're getting, you know, Twitter feed the same way Attack of the Show did. They'd get live Twitter feeds coming in. Other than that, nothing else really seems to be needs to be live or at least nothing that i watch true well speaking of all of this um in terms of like the percentage of your of your viewers like the audience that was the attack of the show fans do you think that that army of people is larger than what your fans of the attack are like how do i want to put this like do you hmm. think i know the attack 
is in its infancy still like you guys started in February of this year but do you think you've crested that point where you've gotten more of an audience than you did initially with Attack of the Show or do you think it's still like growing it's, it's definitely still growing i mean i think that that's a great question but unfortunately the tv viewership is still a giant next to what we have on our channel right now right i mean we were reaching 300,000 homes on a daily basis with with that show with attack of the show and i think that has to do first of all with being daily it's i mean yeah. even though we're monday wednesday friday it, it does make a difference to not have those tuesday thursday shows um i think and then there's also the fact that you know twitch is huge for what it is but it's uh, it's not on that tv uh access level it's not it's not in that many homes right now, you and i and and our friends know about twitch but i'm pretty sure three out of five people that you ask on you know just out on the street will not know what twitch is right now that, that makes sense it, i guess it is kind of a newer platform and do you, as a producer which do you prefer did you enjoy tv for what it was worth or do you prefer this new this idea of twitch and the way it's all evolving I prefer the idea of Twitch as a platform, but TV had bigger production budgets for us to have more fun and and do more of what we want. We're so limited right now, at least with the current state of affairs. I think that things may change very soon, whether it be a brand sponsorship that's going to take over the channel or, or or a partnership or an investment. But as of right now, we're still very skin and bones, right? We're, we're, we're working off of the funds that are coming into us from Patreon and Twitch alone. And that's funding the whole operation. I was going to ask you about your Patreon. How did you guys find out about that? And who, like, how did that all pan out? Because you guys have a lot of followers now. Uh, yeah, it, it was actually kind of funny that that inspired that we saw kind of funny succeeding on Twitch, but using their Patreon to support their content across Twitch and YouTube. And we're like, hello, you know, this is, this is clearly a, a recipe that they've created. I, I absolutely look up to them in that formula. I think that they are doing a great job with their channel and their show is awesome. They're funny guys and they know what they're doing. And so I think we're not reinventing any wheels. We just wanted to, um, learn. And so by watching kind of funny, I think we learned a lot and, and Patreon was, was one outlet. Um, selling merch is another outlet. Um, the push for Twitch subscribers, like the crazy stunts that Alex does are another side of the business, you know? Definitely. And I was going to bring that up too. It's funny how this is all segueing, but as a producer, you see Alex come up with these ideas and these stunts and then watch them uh, take place. But in more recent episodes, I've been seeing you even are getting your hand in on these skits and stuff. And uh, like as a, who was it, Gerard Depardieu and like different stuff you've done. Uh, what what do you have to say about that? What, where, where, when was the defining moment in time where it's like, oh, I'm actually going to get involved in these skits? Or, or did was it more or less a demand thing? Like, hands on deck, like, here's Yaniv. Oh, it's all hands on deck, man. It, you know what? We, we all have to make it work. So I, I, I walked into work that day having no idea that there was a Gerard Depardieu. And Alex <laughs> said that we need you to do some freestyle poetry. And I was like, all right, I'm game. What kind of character are we going to come up with? And it all happens literally at the table hours before we go live. So 
that's the spirit of Attack of the Show. That's how we went into to those to those episodes back then. And honestly, I was watching, I was tuning in at while I was at work because it was in the morning. And God, I was laughing, trying not to laugh my ass <laughs> off around all these people because you guys are so good. It was, it really is like in the spirit of Attack of the Show, as you said. And I think that's why so many people are falling in love with it. Thank you. I, I think honestly, the impromptu uh, nature of it all is what makes it so fun because you see that we're having fun. And I think that's part of it, right? The audience has fun if they're, if they're seeing that, the, that that's being conveyed through the screen. So I'm glad. In regards to the Gerard Depart Jew, uh, <laughs> I was going to let it slide, but since we've brought it up, do you do those freestyle poems like on the spot, or do you come up with them beforehand? As, <laughs> well, no, I, as someone, I've got a D&D character on our other <laughs> podcast uh, based around the character Rick Grimes from Walking Dead, and his name is Sick Grimes, and I would try to rap on the podcast, and it was incredibly hard sick rhymes yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love it uh yeah i could i don't know i i definitely dabble with some freestyling and i think for specifically that day when it, it was a patreon uh campaign so we would get the names i i would have my laptop with the with the names that were coming in as like new patreon supporters and i would come up with some sort of poem around their name and then i would start hitting the bongos which would uh cue them to to uh to toss to me so it was done you know i would come up with a couple of lines maybe a minute or two before i would spit them out of my mouth but that that was you know when i say them i guess they were the first time i'd said them out loud those were oh, okay. those were the only lines <laughs> <laughs> pretty much no, but that oh was, that's right yeah there were some other lines yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was one of the funniest episodes. Um, speaking of that, your involvement in the attack, what's been some of your favorite uh, moments this far? Um, Deborah Drew's up there as one of my as one of my favorite moments for sure because of just the reaction. Um, some of my other favorite moments. Let's see. I don't know if this this counts as a favorite, but it, it's definitely like a favorite memory of mine. And this is sad, actually. I feel terrible to admit this, but it was an early episode, maybe episode three or four, when poor Alex, uh, he, he caused his own demise in that, but he, <laughs> he, uh, he was eating the, or drinking the God Killer. Do you remember that smoothie of just oh all the God. different, like, all the junk food, royalty foods? Like, yes. we had like Taco Bell, Burger King, Doritos, and Gatorade all mixed, all blended together into a smoothie. And the poor guy was sitting there in a tub just scooping this stuff into his mouth. And I was kneeled before him with a small, like hundred dollar JVC camera. And I was just recording him doing it. And I remember thinking like, I can't believe this is what it's come to. Like in a very, <laughs> in a very like sad, depressive, I, I like, I could not believe, I was like, is this really the future? This is not, I had a really horrible confrontation with myself of, I can't believe this is what it's come to. But literally the reactions were amazing. We got crazy viewership on that episode. There was a huge amount of support online. And then I realized, you know, this is what it's about. It, 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 is, it is about kind of uh, taking taking hits for the team and eating gross stuff and <laughs> and just having no pride, basically. Like, there's no, there's, there's no need for any of that. There's no shame in what we're doing. We're just having fun. We're, we're going back to that childhood nature of just... You know, like knee jerk, let's have fun response. 
even just on an episode this week, you guys had a skit where you're flinging pudding and, and uh, diaper filled, uh, pudding. It was just ridiculous at Eddie. And I felt like there was a moment, like a general consensus moment, where even Kevin was like, oh, I feel a little bad right now. But yeah. we're just going to go on with the show for the sake of the show. And it, I think... It's it's all in good fun, and that's yeah. the thing. And then even the nice thing about that was uh, Alex then offered for Eddie to throw pudding at him, and he slammed him like, holy <laughs> <Yeah>. shit. <laughs> oh, I love those moments so much. Yeah, like so that's exactly the same sentiment I'm talking about. We have these like moments of realization where it's like, wait a minute, we are just in a room throwing a bunch of pudding at each other, or we are just outside of the office you know, standing in freezing cold water, like there, because there's no live audience and because there's no big high def cameras on operators over their shoulders and it doesn't feel necessarily like a big production. It's so lo-fi that there, there's, you can't help but feel those moments, you know? Yeah. That sense of confusion. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're like, Oh, what are we doing? A little bit of embarrassment for sure. But then we, we see you guys, you know, we, we get the response from you guys and, and that is, makes it all the worthwhile. I mean, it, it revives it for sure. Yeah, definitely. Always positive feedback because everything you guys do is ultimately super entertaining and super creative. So that's a fitting name for your <laughs> company. Appreciate it. It's just fun. Having a blast. Nice. Now that, well, now that you've been sort of roped into some of these stunts and challenges and stuff, do you ever go into the attack now terrified of what <laughs> like spontaneously? Sometimes, yeah, but I can't. You know, I gotta go. I, part of the attitude or part of making this thing work is just going in ready and being positive, ready to throw yourself into anything. And so I, I've been that way just by nature for a while. I, I don't think that everybody would fit this role, and there's definitely some new um, colleagues that are coming into the equation that are definitely not game for it you know I, th- I think it was Los that took a bite of some nasty burrito maybe episode five or six and ever since then there's been a code it's like Los is not eating gross stuff like he's just not he's got a bad gag reflex he's not doing it oh man I, I can't drink a glass of milk without you know crap in my pants for two days. I, I can never do any of that stuff yeah Oh, I, you know what I'm so, we just mentioned this recently. We were so surprised by Kevin. Kevin is a healthy guy. I mean, he, he has a healthy regimen. He's, he's on TV, so he has to stay, I guess, fit and, and he's conscious of what he eats. And then he throws himself into like crazy bits where he's willing to, to eat a Dorito filled, uh, hot pocket or whatever. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm always impressed. He's got to keep that small, slim, girlish figure for the cameras. Yeah, he does. He's a beautiful species, but I, I don't know how he keeps it <laughs> with all the Doritos he eats. <laughs> I just got binge and purge. It's like high school all over again. <laughs> That's right. That must be his secret. You know what? Right? That makes sense. <laughs> well, okay. well, do you have a question, Brent? Well, I was curious because I found on a few different sites, it said you were the showrunner slash Super, uh, supervising producer for Ski TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it says it offers a peek into the Verge culture. And I asked Doug before we got on what Verge culture was because I've never heard of it. I love that. Um, yeah. In my, you know, the Verge culture, I think, is something that can be defined in different ways. But it's, it's to me, this intersection of mixed tastes. So there's people that are big sports fans. 
And there's people that, that don't watch any sports and they only play game, video games. And then there's people that, um, you know, are foodies. And then there's people that, that don't really care about the, you know, or have a specific taste for, for a love for food. And I think verge culture is this sort of melting pot of all those different people together enjoying the same type of content. Um, and that's, it's a, it's a variety lifestyle. You know, I, I personally was the kind of kid in high school that didn't hang with just one clique. I was kind of independent and I, and I floated around and made friends with different types of cliques. And I think verge culture is that type. It's that, it's that sort of not necessarily, um, you know, a big ape type personality that, that has his three interests of rock climbing and, you know, boat fishing and, and is a fan of the Lakers, but rather the, the, the sort of broad stroke type of fan that likes a little bit of everything and has a hard time answering what his top three favorite artists are. <laughs> you know, like, like the, 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 the open fan that likes a lot of everything. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to definitely give it a shot. I've never heard of that before. I, I mean, that's just my definition of verge culture. I think, I think a lot of people can also say verge culture is, um, is basically the whatever's new and and hot at the time I guess you know whatever whatever is um is newly uh defined as as I guess in trend is verge culture okay interesting oh okay then I might be a little behind on that cuz I'm never trendy <laughs> I exactly I, and that's it's t- basically I I've heard at least at the fuse offices they're saying um, multiracial, global, uh, tech-savvy, millennial. These are like the buzzwords that they throw around the term verge culture. I uh, see. Okay. So it's what's hip, what's now, what's cool with the young folks. The, yeah, the, the new generation, right? Uh, I grew up watching Happy Days and I Love Lucy, so I'm, even though <laughs> I am a millennial, I'm a little dated already. Oh, me too, man. What was it? What was on? Oh, Nick at Night. That's where we would catch all those for sure. Nice. Oh, yeah. And then I'd be watching The Simpsons or something that makes an old-timey reference. I'm just like, huh, I know that. It's Gomer Piles. And then all my friends are like, who the fuck's Gomer Piles? <laughs> and I was like, come on. He he was on like episode four of the first season of The Muppet Show. Like, What's The Muppet Show? I'm like, huh, what? I have all three seasons. That's awesome. I'm just curious. Um, how old are you guys? I'm 24. I'm 25. Awesome. So what blows me away is that Alex is 20. And yeah, we, we t- talked about that on our show. <laughs> but I think he's an 80-year-old man, actually. <laughs> so, cause he, he seems to know a shitload. He, he knows a shitload, but he also is a fan of things that I grew up with, which is 10 years his senior, right? So I'm 31 this month, and he likes Rocco's Modern Life. And, Hell yeah. you know, like he, he has that T-shirt. He that's the kind of stuff he likes, and it blows me away that that we have the same childhood references, yet he's 10 years younger than me. That is surprising. Yeah. It's always interesting because, especially now with the internet, before we, you know, when we were growing up, it was just TV. That was the new thing, and that'd be the new way to see reruns of old shows. But now with the internet, almost everything is archived. Like, you can go back and watch episodes of Mr. Ed online, like, probably on YouTube, because no one really gives a shit about the copyright of it anymore. So, like, people can find them, and they tend to find them in weird ways. Like, an eight-year-old's not going to look for episodes of the of Happy Days, but they might stumble across it from, you know, hey, that guy was in Holes, and let me see what else he did, and then find out he's the Fonz. 
Oh, oh yeah. God. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I, you know, these days you can, you have access to so much information that I used to do that with directors. You know, I used to be a big fan of, of following the film work or the filmography of, uh, of one specific director. And, um, I feel like more and more so you can do that. You can actually like do a, a binge of watching all of, you know, PT Anderson's films overnight. And, you know, he probably only has like six or seven films, so you can actually do that. But now even with like Netflix and Amazon, they give you recommendations of like, oh, you like Edgar Wright's directing style. You might also like this director. Like it's a similar technique. So they just keep throwing more to, you know, information and media at you yeah. even if you don't want it. I mean, it's super smart on a business level. It's almost like some people feel it's a, a little bit poachy, but um, I love it. As a content creator, there's some, you can be more happy with the idea of, of suggestions, you know, because you want people to see more of your stuff. Yeah, even as a consumer, it's, there's really not a problem there. It's like, uh, if, if I don't like it, I won't consume it. So. Right. Sometimes yeah. the, the code is off, though. I don't know if you guys ever see the, like, the suggestions on Netflix. But like oh, yeah. they'll see, you know, you'll watch like a music documentary, and then they'll they'll suggest to you like a Disney musical or something. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, watch out. <laughs> Why don't you watch the rest of the Partridge Family on you know seasons one and two? It's like, oh god, no. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. They got to fix that algorithm on Netflix a little. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm surprised because, like I said, we're not. I'm not super trendy, and I recently just got Netflix this year. And I'm kind of surprised by how little there is on there. Like, I go to look up something for my parents, like, oh, you got to watch this. And everything it's constantly I is gone. It's constantly changing, though. That's the thing. Yeah. It's true. But it's missing a lot. I actually I watched American Psycho last night, which is a, one of my favorites on Netflix. <laughs> um, which is, but it's rare. There's, there's a lot of good movies that are not on Netflix. And there's a lot of crap on Netflix, too. I mean, there's like. A lot of the independent films, and I love independent films, but there's just not the, I, I, in my opinion, there's not that best, that great of a selection um, on Netflix right now. I agree. There's not too many, but I know definitely one I was uh, drunkenly recommended by my friend's dad after he staggered home one night. Uh, it was a movie called Blue Ruin, and by the time I finally got around to watching it, I was blown away by it. It was incredible and very indie. It's, hmm. you know, no one... No one in the cast you probably have heard of, and uh, but it was amazing, and I know it got some critically acclaimed awards because of it. Oh, I love this! Type. I haven't heard of that one, but I love those type of movies. You know, the it's it's just like the best revenge movie. It starts off a little slow, and it gets so intense. That's Jeez. badass. Yeah, I uh, highly recommend it. Love a good revenge film. Oh yeah. Yaniv, how much uh, longer of a time slot do you have? Do you think you have a little bit of time to play a conversation game before you go? Absolutely, man. Let's do it. All right. We're going to play I Was the Walrus. We're going to give you, it's going to be out of three rounds, three rounds, uh, you versus me, Bren's the judge. He's going to give us a category and out of that category, like say, oh, what's the best character in this game franchise? 
like just as an example, we each pick our answer and then he'll determine who's the winner and then the best of three wins. Okay. Cool. All right, Bren. It's like apples to apples without the cards. And it's specifically games or anything? Uh, anything. Uh, it depends on what his categories are, uh, okay. so he'll let us know. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. Yeah, we tried doing video games and very quickly ran out of topics. Uh, is it the first thing that pops into our heads, or is it anything? Uh, let's yeah. go with the first thing that pops in our heads, so we'll <laughs> keep right. it quick. Yeah, typically. Alex still has the record for being the fastest human being I've ever heard play this game. Yeah, and honestly, we hope to maybe have you back on the show, and you and Alex could go head-to-head. That'd be cool. Yeah, sure. We have the same similar taste which is weird but yeah that'd, that'd be cool. <laughs> cool all right so first category what animal do you think you could take in a physical fight bear oh uh a cat <laughs> um <Right>. i want I, <laughs> can i just say i just saw a video or i yeah i saw an, an interview with a guy that supposedly punched a bear in the face oh i, I saw that too with it so that's why beast. that was the first thing that point, that came to my mind. I'm like, I want to be that guy that punched <laughs> the bear. You need wrestled the bear once. There we go. <laughs> now you you want to be the guy who can take on a bear, but do you think you actually could? Do you think you'll just be mauled to death immediately? Here's the thing. I think that I can phase the bear down to just wanting to hang out and grab a beer with me. Like I could hug <laughs> it out. I can hug it out with a bear. I don't think. I think we'll hang. We'll become friends, and he won't want to maul me. <laughs> I just imagine you pulling out like a joint and being like, hey man, you want to chill? And then like the bear pulls out like a forest ranger hat. It's like, oh shit, it's smoky. <laughs> yeah, nice. right. But th- that's my idea of taking on, a, like I don't get into fights, right? I just kind of win them with kindness. So I would, <laughs> nice. I would just, my, my, that's how I would attempt beating a bear is hanging out with them. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a valid strategy. <laughs> and then in the other corner, you see Doug punting a cat 50 yards. To <laughs> right. Pretty much be like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Totally. Um, I would love to just see the bear, like, you trying to reason with the bear, so I'm going to have to go with that. That's a good run. <laughs> That's a good run. Come on, dude. We're both big and cuddly. Let's just chill. <laughs> no, nah, we could, like, hang out. Uh, like. And my face is off. <laughs> nice. All right. All right. Round two. Since we talked about, like, older shows and knowing stuff before our time, I might have to explain this one to Doug. Possibly uh, even you, Yaniv. Uh, theoretically, let's say they're bringing back Wacky Races, the TV show. Okay. And you're involved in it. What would your vehicle of choice be? Ooh. Do you um, know what this is, Doug? I know, but I'm going to say bicycle. Or unicycle. Well no. well, no. All right, yeah, I'll have to explain. Wacky Races is essentially just a big... Uh, it's a race between a bunch of different cartoon characters, like the Scooby-Doo gang and Yogi uh, oh. Bear and... Widely Whiplash, or Smiley Whiplash. This existed? So, yeah. yeah Did, like and wasn't there, like, the Jetsons flying car or something? Or wasn't there a flying car? Yeah, it was all the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons, like Huckleberry Finn, or Huckleberry Hound, and... Uh, Flintstones. Flintstones and all those. So it was just all those old-timey cartoons that were all done by the same uh, studio, so they had all the rights. Yeah, that's and right. then they just mashed it all together. And they're like, who would win in a race? <laughs> I, I mean, really I'm going to have show. to go with the flying car. Like, I'm going with the Flintstones. Duck. You've already picked the flying car, so you could have matched it to anything you wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. Instead, you pick a car that literally has rocks for wheels <laughs> that you have to push with your feet. Yes. 
I would because the ga- it's like really gas efficient. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah, I mean, I might win, but I'll be broke. At least you'll have some savings. See, and then I could buy the the newer, better car than the flying one. <laughs> but the Flintstones existed before gasoline existed because they were still dinosaurs, and the Jetsons were way after our time. So I believe they've already ran out of gasoline. So I think it's a new type of fuel. It's true. We're not uh, even dealing with that anymore. We're way ahead. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you can fold up the car into a briefcase. <laughs> Who knows what it runs on? That's oh yeah, wasn't the Jetsons flying car like a tiny little little figurine that then like I don't I don't remember exactly, like but Dragon Ball Z's capsule corpse, where yeah. they throw the little capsule and then it turn into a big ship. Yeah, George would land going to work and it would collapse into his briefcase, and he would just walk into work with the briefcase. Exactly. Nice. Well, where, what are you thinking, Bray? <laughs> I mean, like. I feel like you just threw away this match because you just picked The Rock. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens. It's like, what weapon would you want in a fight? A laser pistol from, you know, Blade Runner? Or, or a bow and arrow. Rock? Doug's just not a competitive type, you know? No. <laughs> we, we, we've determined this on this show. You just want to enjoy yourself. <laughs> He's the pacifist. He's the one who's just laying down for the bear. He's not even trying to talk it down. He's just accepted. Yeah. You want to hang out with no, the cat? I'm- I was just going to say, I was handing the cat to the bear and be like, just eat this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's smart. I feel like that would just be an appetizer. He would just like make room in the stomach for you. <laughs> Potentially. All right. I'm, I'm going to have to go with the flying car. I feel like that's a yeah, no brainer. one. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice. Yaneve, you won. Can- Thanks sweet. for playing. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I guess that's going to wrap it up for this episode of our show. Um, is there anything you want to plug, Yaniv, or anything you want to get in the ear holes of our listeners before you go? Let me give you guys a freestyle poem for, what is it, Sick Rhymes? Oh, yes. Sick Rhymes. Sick Rhymes, is that what it is? Yeah. Sick Rhymes, Sick Rhymes, I want to make love to you six times. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that is fantastic. Six times. You got you to gotta give me that. Yeah, six times. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's half a dozen. I mean, I'm going to... We're going to have to get a little Viagra going, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, would you, um, would you ever be interested in coming back on the show? Happy to, man. I, maybe we can get um, more of the team on board. And, and uh, you know, we've got Liz, Blythe, Los. Oh, any of those people are more than welcome. We'd love to just have a party with you guys. I, I just want to thank you so much for the support, uh, for watching the shows. You know, it really means a lot to us that... You you don't need to thank us. We need to thank you. Everyone of our listeners owes all of you guys a huge thank you for the content you produce. It's, it's super entertaining and we all love it. And this is why you get the great feedback you get. So just keep doing what you guys are doing and yeah, we'll be in touch. We really appreciate it. Really lots of, lots of love to you guys. Thank you so much. Really. All right. Thanks, man. And listeners, you can always reach us if you want to email us, almostbetterthansilence at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is ABT Silence. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. See you. See ya.